rise from your slumber. Old men dream dreams. I was busy dreaming dreams. But they were God dreams, so that's good. Well, this is the um, 17th part of the Life of Jesus series. And um, we do that whenever there's a, a hiatus between other series. I revert to the Life of Jesus, which I am really always, always happy to do. If we don't know him, we don't know who we are. You with me? We're not religious people. We're Christians. We're for a relationship with God. And that comes through Jesus. And we're to be like him. In fact, the whole point of our life is that we're being transformed a little bit at a time by his personality and his agenda and his love and his goodness. Through his spirit, we're gradually becoming more like him. And interestingly, at the same time that we're gradually becoming more like him, we're also becoming more like ourselves, like we were really designed by him to be. One of the craziest things I ever hear from non-Christians is that all Christians are alike. Have you ever heard that? Oh, you're just, you're just, you all behave the same and you all think the same and you all talk the same and you're all basically alike. Nothing could be further from the truth. You are becoming more unique as every minute with Jesus goes by. The last time I spoke to you, it was about the beginning of Jesus' teaching. And it was really simple. The beginning of Jesus' teaching is one sentence. Repent, for the kingdom of God is near. And last week, although we saw that that's the opening of his teaching, repent, for the kingdom of God is near, we focused on the fact that... Before he began teaching, thanks guys, that was really helpful. I'd I'd like for you to do that about every two or three minutes and vary it so I don't know when it's coming. Where was I? Oh yeah, okay. So his message is repent for the kingdom of God is near, but what we saw is that his action precedes his words. He didn't start to speak until he had laid a foundation of what the kingdom really looks like. He didn't begin to tell people his message in words till he'd lived his message in deeds. And his message in deeds was a message of love. Every single one of his supernatural acts done through the power of the Holy Spirit was an act of love. Somebody was getting helped. As he begins this message, repent for the kingdom of God is near, there are two messages in this little message. The first one is obvious, repent. That's something he's calling for. But the second part is, for the kingdom of God is near. So really, repentance depends on our understanding of the kingdom of God. Repent, for the kingdom of God is near. If the kingdom of God wasn't near, if the kingdom of God wasn't available to us, there would be no point to discuss repenting. You see what I'm saying? Repentance is the way in to the kingdom of God. But it is not all about repentance. It is about the kingdom of God. Repentance is simply how you enter and then how you live in the kingdom of God. So let's look at these two things separately. What is he saying about the kingdom of God and the fact that it is near? What does he mean when he says 
it is near. What does he mean when he says the kingdom of God? I want you to use your imaginations with me. We tend to think that the kingdom of God is something like a new understanding of being good or a new set of rules, replacing the old set of rules, maybe a few better rules. We think of it as a bit of an addition onto our lives. As long as we think of it as a bit of an addition onto our lives, we have missed the whole point. The kingdom of God is literally an alternate universe that exists around us all the time, which we have the ability supernaturally to enter into. And once we live in that universe, we are being transformed by it and we are seeing things we could not see before. We're understanding things we could not understand before and we're doing things we could not do before. It is a different world. It is a radically different world. And if all you understand of it is that you enter into it and later you get to go to heaven, you've missed pretty well the whole point of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is near means it's available to you right now. You can enter into it right now. It's a new reality. A new way of life is opening up. It's God's world. You can go from being a regular person to being a person who lives in God's world. To see the things that God sees. To be with him. And actually know him. Isn't that amazing? I mean, we, see, we take this whole knowing God thing for granted. We settle many times for knowing about God. And God doesn't care that much about knowing about him. He cares to know us and he wants us to know him. If we stop at knowing about God, we're just religious people. And we go far beyond religion. It's called the kingdom of God because he's the king. He is the king of everything. He is the only legitimate ruler of all. It's also called a kingdom because when you live in it, you obey the king as king. Now, there's a fundamental difference from everyday life. Until you enter the kingdom of God, you're living the kingdom of Mark, the kingdom of John, the kingdom of Susan. You're living your own kingdom. You might adopt somebody else's rules, but it's because you want to. It's because you think they're good rules, but you are still the king of that kingdom. But when you enter the kingdom of God, there's a fundamental shift that takes place. You're not the king anymore. You're a subject under a king. Now, that's the one reason why most people don't want to enter it. And that's the one reason why repentance is necessary. And repentance is the only door through which you walk to enter the kingdom of God. It is the key to living in God's world. It's not a geographical kingdom. You don't walk into it or cross a border to enter. It is a spiritual kingdom first and foremost. And over time, and in the completion of time, it will become not merely a spiritual kingdom. It will be a kingdom over every single created piece of matter in the universe. Even the rocks will cry out. God will be completely sovereign over every created thing. That's it in its completion. 
But it starts for us as a spiritual reality. Because it's a spiritual kingdom first, it must be entered spiritually. Does that make sense to you? Because it's a spiritual reality, you have to enter it spiritually first. Then it will have implications for how you think and how you live. And when healing comes, it will have an effect upon your physical body. It permeates everything. But it starts as a spiritual reality. And because it's a spiritual kingdom, we enter it spiritually. And entering it spiritually is the act of repentance. Because repentance, in its true sense, and we're going to see what this means in a moment, is the deepest, truest moment you have ever had. It is the first genuine moment of clarity you have had about the nature of God and the nature of yourself. It is the first time you are completely gut honest. It is the deepest act of humility and the deepest act of self-awareness and honesty that a human being is capable of. And frankly, a human being is not capable of it. If it were not for God's work helping you do it, you could not see these things clearly and you couldn't even repent. Isn't that? I mean, it's just, there's a conundrum here. And God says, repent. And he smiles and says, but you can't do it without me. Because to understand things really clearly, you have to see through my eyes. And you can't see through my eyes until I help you through my spirit. But I'm going to give you my spirit, which is going to enable you to see clearly so you can actually choose to repent. And to first come to an understanding of who you really are and who he really is. And all of a sudden, that understanding changes everything. So what is repentance? Well, usually we think of it as feeling sorry for doing something bad and then going and asking for forgiveness. And it is, isn't it? You hurt somebody, you feel bad about it, you go and you ask for forgiveness. And we think that that's what it is with God. And that's partially true. 2 Corinthians 7.10 says this. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. On the other hand, worldly sorrow brings death. See, there's two kinds of sorrow. There's a sorrow that God helps you with that leads to life. And there's a sorrow that just happens in this world and it doesn't take you anywhere but death. Godly sorrow brings repentance. Now look. Godly sorrow is not repentance. Feeling bad about what you have done is not repentance. It leads or it may lead to repentance, but it does not automatically lead to repentance. Just because you feel bad about something that you did does not mean you will go to that deeper place of understanding, which is genuine repentance. But when you do, that repentance leads to salvation. And here's the thing, you see. It leaves no regret. See, real repentance has no regret. It's such an act of honesty and humility. We're seeing ourselves as we really are, and it's a very ugly thing when you really see it. And yet, it leaves no regret. It brings you to freedom. And it brings you to a place of joy you could never experience had it not happened. Repentance is a gift of God. It is probably the best thing that can ever happen to us. 
When Jesus uses the word repentance here, it means to think differently. See, it's not fundamentally about sorrow. It's not fundamentally about regret. It's not what we usually think of feeling bad about something. It is a deep and complete change of thinking. When Jesus talks about repentance, he's talking about thinking and acting differently because of knowing something new. Something new has come into your awareness, which now allows you to both think and act differently. Now, this word, when used in the Bible, is always used when talking about sin. It is always sin that someone is repenting of. So what is it to think differently about sin that allows us to enter the kingdom of God? Is it only our thinking about sin that has to change? As in, I'm sinning and this isn't good? Does our thinking go any deeper than that? Does it involve thinking differently about ourselves, about others, or about God? What is at the root of repentance at its deepest? You see, most of the time we repent like this. I've done a bad thing. I feel sorrow for what I've done. And I'm going to try very hard not to do it again. Have you ever experienced repentance like that? Isn't that how we define repentance? I have done a bad thing. I feel very bad about it. And therefore, I am going to try very hard not to do it again. This is a form of repentance where we see our action as wrong. We think differently about it. We admit that it's wrong and we decide to try to change that action in the future. This is good, but this kind of repentance will not get us into God's world. This is not the kind of repentance, the thinking differently that Jesus is calling for, which results in a complete paradigm shift to where you're now living in the world of God rather than the world of you. That kind of repentance is a momentary, action-driven thing. It's just about something you did wrong. It doesn't go any deeper than that. And when you say, I'm not going to do it again, you're lying. You are going to do it again. Is there anyone in this... Well, I mean, I know. No, there's some really, 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 like, genuinely horrific things that we did. And we said, I'll never do it again, and we never did it again. I mean, there, is a, there's, there are a few things that I, I, I'm not going to do again. And they're the ones that are hidden deepest inside of us. But then there's a whole bunch of other bad things that we do every day and say, I'm not going to do that again. Let's talk about the freeway. Let's talk for a minute about our driving. I picked mine. I picked this because it, the fingers are all pointing at me. The hate... And, I mean, just the the nastiness that comes out of me when I'm driving in rush hour traffic is profound. That alone is enough to keep me out of God's world. I'm serious. I'm serious. I I had a spiritual director uh, when I was very, uh, when I was first, well, about four years, five years into being a Christian. She was a Catholic nun. I was in my 30s. She was 62. And, uh, 
we, we, we began a life of prayer. She was teaching me to be still. She was teaching me how to come into God's presence. Greatest gift I've ever been given. Changed my life more than being filled with the Holy Spirit because in its own way it was being filled with the Holy Spirit. And I said, how will I know when this is having an effect upon me? And she said, it will affect how you drive. This is a practical lady. She said, when it changes how you drive, you know it's real. It was never real. It was sort of real, but not real enough. No, it was very real. We focus on the thing we're doing wrong, and we say, I'm not going to do it again. And in our hearts, that's a genuine statement, and we really mean it in the moment, but it doesn't bring any change because we go out and we do it again. Because repentance has not been understood for what it really is at the deepest level. And that kind of repentance is not going to get you into God's world. That's not the kind of repentance Jesus is talking about here. It's not this kind of sin, sins, dealing with the particular act here or there, repenting of the particular act here or there. This is not the sin that Jesus is trying to save us from. This is not the kind of sin that got us out of his world in the first place. See, in the beginning, they were in his world. There was only his world. There was no alternate universe of self. This is not the kind of sin that's keeping us out of God's world. In fact, doing bad things is not sin. Doing bad things is the effect of sin. Bad thing, bad things are sins, but they are caused by sin. There's something much deeper than what you do wrong. What you do wrong is just an outworking of something else that's deeper that's wrong. And when we live on the level of our behavior, all we ever do is try to change our behavior. But our behavior is not the problem. Our behavior comes from somewhere else. Hello? Religion. Okay, I wrote this book. And it's coming out soon. So I'm just preaching from my book. Forgive me. The book's called, Is God Religious? If not, why are we? Religion is nothing but man's effort to deal with behavior. But it never goes deep enough. We are not Christians because we figured out our behavior. Something much deeper has happened in us. Or should. Or can. Maybe today. Our behavior is just the effect of something deeper. And it is this deeper thing that we repent from in order to enter God's world. And here it is. This repentance has to do with a deep decision of the heart which we have made to keep him out of our lives and to live independently from him. Sin is our independence from God. Are keeping him out of our hearts. Now, I, oh, I never keep God out of our hearts. Yeah, you do every time. You choose yourself over him. You just shoved him out of the way. See, real sin, the root of all sin, is not a behavioral fault. It is a relational fault. Let that sink in for a minute. 
The sin that keeps us out of God's world is not a behavioral problem. It is a relational problem. It is about how we relate to him. It leads to behavioral faults. They're just sins. They're not the core issue. The core sin is a decision to live apart from God and his will. It is a rejection of relationship with him and everything that that relationship means. The thinking differently that needs to happen in repentance to enter his world is not, quote, I have done bad things, I am sorry. It is this, I am, I am, I am a rebellious, self-willed being, and I am sorry. So sorry, I'm inviting you come into my life down at the deepest level of my core identity and my will and I'm begging you to start changing me. Because at the core level I do not like this in myself and I need help. It is seeing yourself as completely different from God who is only always good And seeing that you are fundamentally flawed and predisposed to being rebellious and independent from your king and your creator. Can you say that this morning? Can you say that? This is really who I am. This is my nature. If you can't say that, what need have you got of God? other than simply to answer your prayers and make your life convenient. Can you say that? There's this idea in the church circles these days that we don't need to repent anymore. You repent once to get in, but you never repent after that. That would be completely true if two seconds after you did your initial to the core, no question about it, see myself as I really am repentance, if that resulted in a complete change where there was no self left in you, no propensity to self-will, and you just instantly became, I don't know, Mother Teresa or the Pope, or you just instantly turned into Jesus just like that, and it's done for the rest of your life, and you have no self will, no selfishness, no self-perspective anymore. You're just absolutely perfect. Is there anybody in the room that's experienced that? I just don't believe that that, that the the overcoming of our self-focus and self-will is instantaneous. I see no evidence of that in my life or anybody else's life. Therefore, The same thing that got me into God's kingdom is the same thing that will get me on through God's kingdom. And that is that I live with a repentant attitude about my base nature. Now, it is not an attitude of defeat. I'm not a worm. I don't hate myself. But I recognize in myself this propensity to constant self-focus and self-will. And I know it's not a good thing. And I don't like it. And I call out every day, God, you've got to help me with this. I went out to lunch two months ago with my mentor. He was the guy that got me into this thing almost 40 years ago. 
And he knows just how selfish I am. And over lunch, and I hadn't seen him for a long time, he said, Mark, how aware are you of your selfishness? How's that for a conversation starter with an old friend? How, how aware of you? Because he, no, he told me one time, he said, you're the most selfish person I've ever known. And he meant it. And he was right. And I hadn't seen him for a long time. And he said, how are you doing with your selfishness? And I said, I see it all day, every day. And he said, how are you doing with it? And I said, you'll need to ask my wife. Because I'm not going to sit here and lie to you or whatever. How I am growing and overcoming this with God's help is not a matter for my opinion. It's a matter for the lives of the people around me. And it's so good. He told me, he said, I was talking to Shelly the other day and she said, how kind and unselfish you are as a husband. Let me tell you, that makes you happy. Because that's the bottom line. That's, that's the litmus test of whether there's any change taking place inside of you. I will stop seeing the depth of my selfishness a tenth of a second after my death. And I'm okay with that. How can you be in relationship with Jesus and not see your own selfishness? How can you see him even for a moment and not think, I am only here because of his forgiveness and grace? Until you repent for what you are at your core, you will not have the power of God to transform your actions. It's so much easier to repent for what you do than for who you are. And it seems more obvious and more practical, but it's only easier because it's shallow and it doesn't deal with the real issue. Now, some of you might be thinking, I would like to have this kind of deep repentance, but I just don't see myself this way. And that would be the truth. How can I be sorry for something I just don't see? How can I make myself see myself this way? And this is a really good question, and the answer is you can't. You can't make yourself see yourself that way. To see yourself as you truly are, is a work only God can do. Are you with me? To see yourself as you truly are is a matter of revelation. It's not just your choice. You're blind to your own selfishness much of the time. You don't see your self-will. Your self-will is who you are. Only God can do that. But listen... In all of his works in us and through us, there's our part and there's his part. The whole Christian life is just divided into two parts, his part and our part. He's always faithful to do his part. He's just waiting for us 
to ask the right questions. To ask for the right things. To cooperate with him in how he does his part. And our part is to ask for the truth. Lord, I want to see the truth about me. I want to know what I really have to repent of. And I want to be open to it and accept it when it comes. Guys, those are the two hardest things a human being can ask for in this life. I want to see myself as I truly am. In your eyes. And then I want to be open to accepting the truth when it comes. And then I want help. You see why our life is a life of repentance? It's not just what you do to get into his world. It's how you breathe in his world. It's the most purifying thing to be shown yourself as you truly are. It is at the same time a horrible experience and the most wonderful thing that can happen to you. It is frightening and it is hard on our pride to have all the layers of self-deception and excuses ripped off and to see our hearts as they truly are. Nothing beats up on your pride like that revelation from God. We are self-deceived about how wonderful we are. Jeremiah 17:9. The human heart is deceitful above all things, and it is beyond cure. Who can understand it? The answer is God. God can understand it. <laughs> Guys, the measure of his love is that he understands it, and he's crazy about you. I mean, he sees you, your rebellious, you know, two-year-olds. Like, they're, 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 they don't keep their selfishness hidden, do they? They just kind of wear it on their sleeves. And when they fall, throw themselves in the ground and throw a, a, an almighty, heaven-changing tantrum, and every person in the park on Friday night turns to see whose chill, ch- child is manifesting a demon, and they're salivating at the mouths, and they're just... Their little, their little prideful spirit, somebody just dared to say no to them and it just explodes all over the place. And everyone in the park hates that child except its mother and father. They look at it and say, I love you. See, only God can do that with us. His father heart is so big, he can look at the darkness within us and say, I love you so much. Come here, let me hold you, you struggling, self-willed little tyrant. And I'm going to love, and I'm going to love myself into you. And I'm going to love you until you give up that struggle. And I'm going to help you with that struggle for the rest of your little life. It's the most purifying thing to see yourself as you really are. Without God, we cannot truly see our spiritual condition apart from his supernatural spiritual revelation when god reveals to us our deepest human nature it just about destroy just about almost not quite destroys our pride if that were possible but boy does pride take a blow When you have an experience like this and God shows you the depth of yourself, 
Your prideful nature takes a hit that it never recovers from. It doesn't disappear, but it takes such a hit. It will never be as powerful or as dominant as it was before that experience. Godly revelation of sin results in such humility that you don't find yourself judging others much. There's a new compassion for others that are caught in sin because you have seen your own. And there is such a hatred for sin produced in you that the very thought of doing wrong makes you sick. You literally run from sin. There is a new humility such that there's little trouble admitting wrong done to another because you know that asking forgiveness is the means to perching your heart of the foul sense of unconfessed sin. But here's the best of all. Finally, there is a new sense of the depth of the love of God who has forgiven even one as sinful as me. That's worth everything. To see the immensity of his love, to see yourself as you truly are, and then to know he loves you and he's forgiven that. Oh, he's so, he's so good. He's just so good. He's just so good. I struggle with my selfishness every single day, pretty well constantly. And sometimes I wake up in the night, and I woke up in the middle of the night last night, thinking about the wonder of his love for me. How ridiculous it is that he loves someone like me. And my appreciation for him, I can't find words to say how much I love him. For the simple fact that he loves and forgives me. He has never given up on me. He will never give up on you. Ever. And he has seen more darkness in you than you can imagine. And it has not stopped him from loving you. And it will never stop him from loving you. And if he gives you the gift of showing you of some of the darkness and self-will and pride that exists inside of you, you can take it as one of the greatest gifts you have ever received because you will love him so much more because of what you have seen. Repentance becomes the ongoing route to receiving more of the power of God to live a holy life. And all this comes as a result of asking him to grant you this gift of true repentance. Opening yourself to see your sinful nature and then owning it when he reveals it to you brings a whole new understanding of his love. The power to live a holy life comes only from the love of a holy father. Listen, the love of God comes as we bring our sinful nature to him. I know that sounds ridiculous. The human answer to discovery of sin is to cover up and run and hide. 
God's answer to the discovery of human sin by humans is that they run to him with their sin and throw it into his arms and allow him to pick them up and love them and forgive them. It is counterintuitive, but it is how he works. And isn't that an absolutely wonderful thing? The human answer to sin started in the garden. It is to run and hide our sin from him and from ourselves. But when we bring our sin to him in repentance, he can heal it with his love. This love becomes the power to change. This is what it means to enter into his kingdom. And it comes through repentance. Repentance is a form of spiritual breathing. We should never fear it. Amen. Let's close our eyes for a minute. I'm tempted to ask the Lord to do it right now, but I don't think it would be a good idea. It's just sort of too much when he starts to show you what's going on. It's kind of a holy thing. It's something that's just ought to take place between you and him. But are you open to it? That's really the question. Are you willing to take the to risk, to say to him, listen, Lord, I don't see a lot of the time the real problem with me. I just mostly deal on the level of my behavior. and Lately, it's been pretty good. But Lord, if what he's saying is true, then I do want to know you better because I know myself better. And I do, do, do want to know you more. So, Lord, I'm open. Father, I'm open. I would like to begin to see the depth of that self-nature. And I would like to be able to turn from it. Now, here's the hardest thing. If you pray that and you mean it, he'll begin to do it. The trouble is, he'll begin to do it through other people. Oftentimes, it'll be someone close to you that says, you know, you really got a problem with such and such. You know, the way you you treat your wife, it hurts me every time I see it. You know, sometimes the way you treat your kids, it kind of scares me. You know, the way you disrespect your husband, it, 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 it just, I just needed to tell you about it. And any time a human being is the vehicle through which God reveals ourself to ourself, we don't see it as him. We just see it as some nosy jerk. And our pride rises up and says, who are you to say this to me? And now we have an excuse to dismiss everything that they said. And if it is the truth, if it is the truth that they said to us, we say, well, I don't like the way they said it. I don't like their attitude. So we find something wrong with the delivery system so we can weasel out of the truth. 
I'm asking, I'm telling you this because when God bring it, begins to show us things about ourselves, he usually starts with other people. And they're the easiest ones to blow off and to say, well, you have problems too. In fact, you have bigger problems, so I can ignore the truth that you just told me. Can you say, Father, I'm open to receiving your, con- your correction, a true I'm open to receiving a true view of myself and I even welcome it from people around me. Can you do that? Because if you can do that, you're really seriously well on the way. Let's say it if we can. Father, I don't even like saying this out loud because something inside of me really rebels against this. But Jesus, I do want to be open to correction from other people and my wife and my friends and those that are close to me and even my neighbors. I want to be open to correction from my neighbors. And when it comes, Father, please help me to see that there's whatever truth is in it is coming from you. God, help me to live a repentant lifestyle where it's easy to just accept truth for what it is. And Father, I know that when you're loving and intimate and affectionate with me, it just makes it so much easier for me to open up and admit my need. So I'm asking you to be that way with us. Be that way with me, Lord. So let's pray together. Holy Spirit, please show me what I need to see about myself that's keeping me from you. It's keeping me from giving myself completely to you and living totally in your world the way I want to. Please show me it. And help me to be open. Help me to have a soft heart. This is what I really want. Amen.